So as the chapter opens, Jesus is having a really good day. I'm talking about John, chapter 8, first verse. And he got up very early, before it was light. And he went off on a nature hike. It says he went to the Mount of Olives. And this particular passage doesn't tell us exactly what he's doing, but I, I believe I know, because I know Jesus. And also from... Other passages of Scripture, it was Jesus' custom to get up really early. Well, it was still night, you know, dark 30, before the cows start begging for food. He got up and went off by himself to pray. He treasured these moments alone with his Father. And if he could, if the situation made it possible, he'd, he'd go off on a beautiful spot in nature. God's own cathedral. So after this, this nature hike and personal prayer time, then Jesus goes to the temple. These days we go to church, but his equivalent, you could say, he went to the temple and it says that people came to him, a lot of them, and they were receptive, so he taught them. I believe there was healing and salvation, deliverance, so, so the day was really shaping up. It was peaceful and enjoyable, perfect. And have you ever had a day like that where you get up on the right side of bed, you roll out on the right side of bed, and if it's the Lord's Day, you come to church, and it's, it's a good day at church? Ever had a day like that? Beautiful morning. I mean, I love that. That's the kind of day that I believe Jesus was having. And then... We see in the next verse, the devil's pulling out all the stops to try to ruin his day. And it, it's a sad fact, but a lot of religious people jumped on the devil's bandwagon. So in verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, even the very act. Now Moses commanded us that such be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground, as if he didn't hear him. So they were tempting him. And if we look at that word in the original manuscript, it's in a negative sense, but you can kind of tell by this translation in English, they're trying to lead Jesus into sin. And their motivation is they want to have an excuse according to the law of the land to kill him. And they're doing all this thinking that they're serving God, but they've been deceived by the devil. Paul wrote, this is 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So in other words, the devil pretends to be a godly angel, and false teachers pretend to be godly teachers, and many of them, they've even deceived themselves. And in this particular passage, if we keep reading, Jesus identifies these false teachers in John 8, verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil, 
and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. So there is a personality behind evil. Have you ever noticed that? Like in, in your personal life, you witness something in the community, you see something on the news, and when one thing happens, some atrocity, I mean big or small, but it seems like there could be a movement even through the community of the nation where the, the police are like, what are these, copycats? And perhaps, but there's actually a personality behind evil. And ultimately, ultimately, it's the devil. But there's more than the devil. The devil has a kingdom. Why? Because God has a kingdom and the devil tries to copy everything that God does. So the devil has demons under him. And perhaps most Americans today don't believe that demons exist. It's not a popular topic. But if we look at the chapter, Jesus highlights this. And I'm trying to be true to the word. And there's different spirits. There's thousands of uh, demons, millions actually. We don't know how many. The scriptures tell us that one-third fell away and turned themselves into demons. But there's thousands of them. They have different personalities. There's one here. We could call it perhaps the uh, pharisaical spirit, or you could also call it the, the over-religious spirit. And people that listen to this spirit or have been deceived by it, they're overly critical. They often are looking for reasons to accuse people. And every single one of us is a sinner. So if someone wants to put us under a microscope, of course, they're always going to find material to accuse us with. But usually that's not enough for them. So they invent things, they bear false witness, they listen to gossip, and they make things worse than they really are, or just invent sins where, where there are none. But in this case, you know, the woman actually had committed adultery, and for these overly strict uh, teachers of the law, um, or their version of the law, they thought, it was a righteous requirement to kill her, which isn't true. There's always been mercy being able to be shown in the law. And, you know, my interpreter of the scripture, actually I have two, I have Christ and the Holy Spirit. And there's others, I mean, you know, I've been taught, um, there's different commentaries, but still, my interpreter of the scriptures is Jesus Christ. And he wasn't buying their interpretation that you have to kill this woman. And in fact, what is he doing? Look how, look how gentle he is. He, he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't punish her. What does he say? He says, I don't condemn you. And he says, go and sin no more. But look, does God tell you to do something and not give you the power to do it? So if she'd even been a slave to sin, he's setting her free. He's giving her the power. He's being really gentle. And he's sending her out with the power to live this brand new life. And it's amazing grace. A sinner saved and set free. But if we look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees, he rebukes them. It's a very harsh rebuke, I would say anyway. And it tells me that their sin was worse than hers. And also, 
They didn't repent. She was repentant. Jesus received her. They they decided to just stay in that sin of being uh, too strict with people, being too judgmental. And they were stirring up strife in the church. Proverbs 6, 16 says, There are six, six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven that are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. So there's these six things, even seven, that the Lord hates. I mean, God hates sin. He loves a sinner. But, but look at this list. In God's word, he's saying that there's these things that I particularly hate. And causing strife among the spiritual brothers and sisters is right up there with murder. And no coincidence, I would say, that the the Pharisees, they're stirring up strife in the church and they want to kill Jesus. So their hearts are filled with strife and murder and how they get so turned around. Doing all this and thinking, doing all these evil things and thinking they're, they're serving God. I mean, the devil is sneaky and he's intelligent. He's fallen, but he's still an angel. He's more powerful and than any of us or all of us together. It's a powerful being. So we have to fight back according to godly wisdom. Because otherwise, we're going to lose. We've got to fight the way that God says to fight. And I'm just a human being. I'm no better than the Pharisees. And I could fall into the same sort of trap unless I put on God's word like armor and carry the Bible like a shield and fight in the way that God says to fight, not fall asleep at my post or be like a soldier running around doing foolish things when he's supposed to be on duty. I mean, I need wisdom, God's wisdom, to keep me safe. So I can show you where the Pharisees went wrong. And it was self-righteousness. And I'd like to compare that this morning to the righteousness that comes only from God, God's own righteousness. And do we know the difference between the two? And the depths of self-righteousness is the person thinks that he can keep the law by his own power. But no one can find righteousness that way. It's impossible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the very moment you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, God sees you as righteous. And it's an attributed righteousness. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it. It was impossible. It was unobtainable. And the simple gospel truth of grace, so simple you can explain it to a child. You come to Christ and everything's forgiven. As simple as it is, the Pharisees didn't understand that. 
So they bring this woman to Jesus and they're trying to teach God. How, how proud is that? They're trying to teach God about His own word. But they're implying that He has to kill her to be righteous. And look at Jesus' response. He's doodling on the sand. He's looking down. I don't believe He's looking at them. Not looking at her. He's doodling on the ground as, as if He didn't hear them. So God's not receiving any of it. So how should we respond when we're under attack? And you know, I feel sorry for this woman, how her day started. You know, it wasn't, wasn't right how they treated her. But that mistreatment was relatively short. And she met Jesus. And when he sent her out of that place, he sent her and she was free. And notice the Pharisees didn't follow her. Didn't dare. She was delivered from them. She was delivered from a lot of things. Her chains fell off. And she had peace and joy, a whole new life. So if I had been her, I would have said, you know what? That was a bad day, but good came out of it. It was worth it. But the Pharisees remained cursed because they, they chose a curse instead. They didn't want to repent. And they left there. They didn't dare follow the woman, but they left there. And they're still, they're still breathing out threats of violence and murder. And they, they have no peace and no joy. They're miserable, absolutely miserable, the Pharisees. And is that any way to live? And Jesus said... Love your enemies. Why? Because they need it. Look at them. <laughs> They're a mess. They thought they had all the power, all the knowledge. Thought they had everything. Really, they had nothing. Nothing eternal, nothing worthwhile. So love your enemies because they need it. If you don't, they might not be here tomorrow, tomorrow and where are they going? So Jesus gives us such amazing grace, it overflows. He teaches us forgiveness, he forgives us, teaches us forgiveness, and then we have forgiveness to spare. We can even forgive our enemies. So in the, the, the few moments we have, I'd like to con contrast the, the phony self-righteousness of the Pharisees with God's righteousness. And there's, there's a lot of ways that this one or the other can flood into our life and change our life. Which direction do you want to go? Self-righteousness versus God's righteousness. Well, first of all, it's work versus rest. It's a lot of work. The, the Pharisees were exhausting themselves trying to meticulously keep the law. And it's impossible. So, so they work and work. And people today work and work as religious people all around the world. A lot of them are Christians, but have an incorrect relationship with the law. There's a lot of the Jews, a lot of the Muslims. I have a lot of Muslim friends. And they're working, 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 and not getting anywhere. And it's a trap from the devil. Or you can come to Christ and believe in His work on the cross. Jesus said, it's finished and it's done, and now I can rest. So work versus rest. Which would you rather have?
And it's peace. There's no peace or self-righteousness because we realize we can't earn it. So we don't have that relationship with Christ. We have faith in Christ and depend on His righteousness. Notice to this woman, He said, I don't condemn you. And from that comes peace. God will talk to you. He communicates to us in a lot of different ways. It's amazing. Jesus will speak to you today when the devil comes after you or misguided people. And, and he'll tell you, he'll say, I don't condemn you. He'll speak to your heart. He'll, he'll give you rest. And this judgment versus grace. I mean, judgment's a two-edged sword, I would say. Because people, are, if they're too strict with others, then they're too strict with themselves. That's just the way it works. People can try to ignore their own sin, but if, I, if I'm overly judgmental with someone else, then that same thing is going to come against me. I know that the Pharisees were dealing with that because look at them in the passage. They're insane. They're absolutely insane, running around, wanting to murder people, thinking they're serving God, even kill Christ. It's crazy. Just this, we're so deceived into being that judgmental. That it was causing them just, just to lose it. And there's a, thank God there's a, there's a way out of this trap. And it's to come to Christ. The, the moment you accept Christ as Lord, you receive overflowing grace. And an amazing thing happens then. We receive God's grace... <coughs> And then we have grace for other people. You, you don't want to stone the adulteress anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of sin in 21st century America. But once you've received God's grace, then you're thinking, you know, how much does God love these people? And, you know, how can I show them that they're causing... Most of their their own problems. That's how I was. You're thinking about their healing, their deliverance. Another contrast between self-righteousness and God's righteousness is that self-righteousness pushes other people down. They, They threw this woman at Jesus' feet they're grinding her down into the dirt. But then, it was pushing them down. God's righteousness lifts us up. God will pick you up. Just like Jesus on that day picked that woman up. And then, he delivered her and she went off. Doesn't say what she did exactly. I don't know exactly. But I know she was using that same grace to lift other people up. And all of this grace brings God's healing, joy, restoration. But what's on the other side? People that remain too, remain too judgmental. Leads to anger and strife, even you know, murder and suicide. How many people lose the battle to depression or something like that because of guilt? Or they they turn to some sort of chemical to try to drown it. 
But meanwhile, forgiveness is a fount of life. I mean, do you want healing? Do you need deliverance? Then learn how to forgive. God will teach you. And if you don't know, ask. If you don't think that you're able to, then God will give you the power. And there's a wonderful healing power in forgiveness. And being overly judgmental always turns into strife. Self-righteousness always turns to strife. In, in God's righteousness, we see unity. And really, that's what the passage here is all about. And Jesus shows us how to be in unity. He got up really, really early. Well, it's still dark. Went on a nature hike. Had personal prayer time. So it's... Uh, Jesus and his Father, and I'm sure he's praying in the Holy Spirit, so you have the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And, you know, God reveals himself to us as a trinity. God is community, and he's one, so he's always at peace. For eternity, before he created the earth and human beings, God was in unity, and he still is. He's in perfect unity. And then Jesus went to the temple, and people came there, and I believe the Holy Spirit was there. And you had people that, that wanted to, to hear Jesus, and he taught them. I mean, Jesus, look at the Gospels. Jesus didn't waste a lot of time trying to teach people that are unteachable. So if he was teaching them, I know that they were receptive. So you have all these blessings where there's unity. But then, as we saw, the devil came, tried to bring strife in the church. And here's the thing, it takes a lot of effort to get along with people. We're all sinners. We all do things that are wrong. I do things that are wrong. I love you, but you know, you're not perfect either. <laughs> What's that mean? We have to put an effort. Sometimes we've got to put a lot of effort in. To maintain that unity. And it's precious. I mean, I want it for myself. But if I forget to start thinking that I need that, well, what about these people in our community that are never going to find Christ unless we have unity and peace here? That's where the blessings happen. And the Pharisees messed it up. So enslaved versus set free. It's the last contrast I want to look at between self-righteousness and God's righteousness. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Verily I, verily I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So Jesus here is contrasting the servant 
with the Son. And the Pharisees were making themselves servants. They're trying to keep the law by their own power, not by God's power, their own power, being self-righteous. And the, the servant doesn't abide forever. You come to Christ and He makes you a son. The, the Scripture says son because in the Jewish culture the, the firstborn son received the entire inheritance. It means men and women both. You're a son, a daughter of God. The, the king adopts you. It gives you the inheritance. And it's an eternal inheritance. Christ is an eternal king. His kingdom's eternal. And when you, when you come to Him and learn to trust in His righteousness, that's when your chains fall off. You're not a slave anymore. Jesus has a key to set us free. The Son has made you free. And you're free indeed. Amen.